Hello, everyone. I'm Laura. And I'm Chantal. And this is Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size. A podcast following one woman's journey to health through weight loss surgery and beyond. And I'm that woman. The information and personal experiences shared on this podcast are for general informational and entertainment purposes only. Our stories represent individual perspectives and do not constitute professional medical advice, guidance, or recommendations. We're counting down the final two episodes of season one of Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size with another excellent two-part interview with registered dietitian Maddie. Maddie works with patients who are in the process of undergoing bariatric surgery, so she brings a ton of knowledge to the pod. We recorded this episode in November, about two weeks after Chantal's surgery, which was great timing to discuss all of the dietary changes that are an essential part of committing to a healthy lifestyle post-surgery. We hope you learned as much as we did from Maddie during this episode, and join us next week for part two. Maddie, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into being a dietitian. Yeah, um, I decided to be a dietitian or to go through the pathway of nutrition when I was a teenager. I started competitively racing bikes, like road bikes, and got a lot of diet advice on how to be a better athlete and learned a lot, basically how not to treat your body and athletics at the same time. And I, I got to this place of being like, nobody actually knows what they're talking about and I want <laughs> I want to know the secret that nobody's telling me. Yeah. So that's what led me to go to school for nutrition. And then through being in school, just really gained a big passion for for being a part of other people's lives as they try to make changes because it's terribly difficult to make these changes. And I have a lot of understanding and empathy for how difficult it is and how many things you're told throughout the journey and, and all that kind of stuff and wanting to be kind of a a sounding board for people so that they don't have to go through all of that. Like I would, there's a teenager or like, I hear a lot of stories if that makes sense. Um, so that just kind of led me to wanting to be a weight loss dietitian. And, and then that led me into bariatrics into the jobs that I have now. Cool. So how long have you been working with bariatric patients? About a year and a half. One thing we talk a lot about with Chantal is, you know, of course her diet and all the things that she's had to change leading up to her surgery. How does a bariatric dietitian play into that like preoperative like dieting process? What do you do? Yeah. So preoperatively, I don't do anything for weight loss. It's that's not the focus at that time. Um, The only insurance requirement at that time is that everybody keeps their weight where it is. So the first time that they meet with me is their starting weight. They have to be the same as or less than the very last time that they meet with me. So I'm not I'm not concerned or worried or thoughtful at all about weight loss at that time. It's much more about getting getting your mind wrapped around the amount of changes that have to happen and the difference between this is not a diet, this is a surgery and it changes everything and Rather, they're not negotiable. They're not things you can choose to do or not to do. So kind of getting them into that space of recognizing like this isn't really something that you can go back on or cheat on. Like this is what your life is going to be. And so what are kind of the key diet focuses that you have during that like preoperative process? So the key things there, I mean, the main most important thing is protein and teaching people specifically what protein is, what foods have protein how to prepare them in a way that you like them. I think a lot of the people 
often think about eating healthy as like boiled chicken and brown rice and I still want people to enjoy food it doesn't have to be something so bland like that so finding ways that you truly enjoy eating protein but there being the presence of protein that's definitely the first step and then the second step is getting used to eating five to six times a day um because that's not common for a whole lot of people and then how do you how do you plan your day around having to eat so frequently so those are the two really big things before surgery to get used to well i'm curious i because i know there's like multiple different surgery types is it do you have to personalize diet plans for patients based on the type of surgery that they're about to be having I don't know if other clinics do. We don't. Um, the recommendations are the same, and we would want anybody going through either of the surgeries to treat them the same, although the experience after surgery is very different um, with the sleeve versus the bypass. But that's kind of the experience that the, the person needs to go through on their own. Our recommendations are going to be the same either way. Interesting. Okay. You know, another thing that we have talked a lot about is the whole like liver shrinking diet. Can you talk to us a little bit about that from like a dietitian standpoint and like why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. The main reason is so that the surgeon can can get to the stomach. For example, this is your stomach. I'm holding up a fist and then I have my hand that's going to go over my fist. If the fist is your stomach and then my hand is the liver, if the liver is enlarged at all, it's going to cover the stomach. And the liver is not something we really want to move. It's a very fragile organ. Yeah. Um, so if we have people go through a liver shrinking diet before surgery, that's going to get that liver smaller and out of the way. Then the surgeon can access the stomach much easier. The liver shrinking diet is not for weight loss. It's not something that would be good for a general person just to do. It is solely a medical diet just to get the liver out of the way to do the surgery. And as far as, you know, nutritional requirements pre-surgery, is there anything like specific that you're, you know, that you're looking for or hoping people are like taking in yeah. <laughs> just to prepare themselves for this procedure that they're about to have? I would, I, you know, I would hope that they would start eating protein with every meal and getting used to eating five to six times a day and getting used to not drinking and eating at the same time and trying all those things out. But at the end of the day, if somebody's not tried a single thing, but they've met all the insurance requirements, they're going to get surgery anyway. But it would just be nice if you started to get used to how the life is. Yeah. I feel like it'd be so much more difficult if you don't prepare yourself. I just kept thinking to myself, if I don't do anything prior, I'm like jumping into the ocean without a life raft. Like, and I'm not, I don't want to like flail and freak out at at when, when it came to actually having to implement these changes. So I definitely think that making those steps prior to surgery has probably been something that's very helpful for me so far. Yeah. And I can imagine in in my mind, it seems so wild that you're going to go to the hospital with your life being however it has been for however many years you've been alive. Right. And then you get put under and you wake up and everything is different. Everything changes. Mm -hmm. it, it, like everything changes so much. I had like a really stressful something happened to me a couple of weeks ago. And I told my mom, I was like, I can't eat. I can't drink. I can't smoke. Like all of these tools that I've had, we talked about this, are no longer at my fingertips to be able to deal with my stress. And so like it's not just changing my diet and changing the way that I eat. It's changed everything in my life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And so doing some of those tangible things before surgery of getting used to how all, all your eating style changes help manage all those other changes because you've already figured that out. You're already used to that. 
little bit more mental capability of now figuring out all these other changes that you couldn't even plan for. Yeah, honestly, like, I think that leads really nicely into my next question, which is like, how do you help patients kind of address maybe some of like the underlying like emotional sides of like, you know, eating or like the relationship with food that might have led them to like, get to such a high weight in the first place? How do you help people kind of through that process? Yeah, I think my place as a dietitian is very different than than the place of a counselor. We're very lucky to have a counselor on our team. And if somebody's really presenting with with struggling with the emotional aspect of not being able to use food anymore, she's going to be the best resource. But as a dietitian, I feel like my most important place is to normalize that we want to eat food. Food is amazing. Our brains want it. Our bodies want it. There's nothing wrong with craving food or wanting food. Our brains want to find joy through food, and we should. And so we should be eating food that's delicious, that we like the taste of. And it never feels good to take something away and just have an empty space left. So if you're taking away food and you have nothing else, you're going to really feel the presence of it not being there. And so really encouraging people to find something to put back in its place so that it doesn't feel so empty. You know, there's something else that you can go do. Doing things that are creative are so wonderful because we don't spend a whole lot of time trying to be creative. So finding either like hobbies or creativity or movement or something to put in that place can be really impactful. A podcast. A podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I so it sounds like you're you're a little newer to like kind of the bariatric side of diet of like the dietitian field. What was what were some things that you learned, you know, coming into the side of things and and anything that surprised you? Yeah, I think I think coming into it, I, I had a lot of experience with bariatric surgery through the program to become a dietitian. So I had an understanding of everything that went into it. I think the most surprising thing starting this job was this surgery is that changes a lot and it makes it makes a lot of um, difficult situations that you have to navigate. But the profound impact that people feel and and hearing the feedback of being like, I can get on the floor and play with my kids easier or I can go to a Red Rocks concert and not be worried about it. And like those things are so magical and I would have never expected that to be the most amazing thing that somebody gains out of it. Yeah, I think there's a big stigma around bariatric surgery. A lot of people see it as like an easy way out, um, which obviously we've talked a lot about that on this podcast, that it's like not even not easy. Like, like, <laughs> like just the process leading up is like a lot. And then, of course, like your whole lifestyle has to change. I guess in your professional opinion, like, how do you feel about people who say that like bariatric surgery is like the easy way out? Yeah. It, I mean, quite honestly, it hurts my heart because I know that it's not just ha experiencing what other people are going through or being being with them as they're experiencing these things. It's definitely not the easy way out. It is a very hard option. And I think it's quite dangerous to say it's the easy way out because in one pocket, People might not pursue bariatric surgery, even though they need it because of the stigma or the other pocket. People might think that it's easy and pursue it because of that. Um, they could definitely see that. Yeah. And or people thinking and not taking it seriously because they think it's the easy way out. And so then they're not taking their after diet, their after surgery diet seriously. They're not following their progression and phases to be able to get back to eating normal foods again, you know. 
I think that if you we if we chalk it up to being this easy thing, you know, it can be really damaging to some people. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, because because they rely on the surgery to do all the work, so they think that they're not the ones who have to do the work. That's the stigma, right? Is like, oh well the surgery did it for you. You didn't you didn't do anything. Yeah. When in reality, I mean it, as I was saying earlier, it makes so many things not negotiable. You have to drink the water. You have to eat the protein. There's no other way around it. I don't go anywhere without a water bottle, you say. It's like, it's attached <laughs> to me forevermore. <laughs> and to answer the other part of your question of like the things that change that maybe people don't recognize, your taste buds change immediately when you wake up. A lot of people, when I come see them in the hospital, they'll be like, I've hated vanilla flavored things my entire life. And now it's all I want. And I can't stand the chocolate one. I actually have this thing with goat cheese. Like, I always think it looks really appetizing. And about every eight months or so, I try it. And I'm like, ew, this is disgusting. Why do I keep doing this? Like, and my best friend <laughs> makes fun of me all the time for this, right? But I was telling her, I was like, well, I know your taste was kind of changed. And I'm really hoping that maybe I like goat cheese now. Because <laughs> I've always wanted to like goat cheese, I guess. Like, but it's never been a thing. So we'll see. Fingers crossed I can eat goat cheese now. <laughs> uh, what is your contact with patients like? Like, how often do you see them typically? I, I know it kind of differs like clinic to clinic and pro- program to program. But in your professional experience, what what is your, you know, that preoperative portion of the experience like? Yeah. So my main involvement before surgery is tied to whatever the person's insurance requirements are. Most insurances require six months worth of classes. Um, So that means I will do an initial one-on-one evaluation with them, ask them a million questions, let them know what this whole process looks like. And then I teach monthly classes from there. So we, we do it through Microsoft Teams. And um, they all have different themes to them. So they'll go through however many months of those classes their insurance required them to. And then they're allowed to meet with me one-on-one as much as they need if they have any questions or want to talk through anything. But there's no further requirement that they have to talk to me before surgery. So what do the classes look like a little bit? Four general topic classes. So they're on grocery shopping, mindful eating, dining out after surgery and what that looks like and how to look through a menu and choose things that are going to make your belly feel okay and then what exercise looks like after surgery and then a pre class sure so mainly things that are getting you prepared for like how your life is going to be so different afterwards right yeah all the life skills support for this podcast is provided by freedom multifamily acquisitions they are your key to financial freedom through real estate investments making your money work for you not the other way around. Please visit freedommfa.com. That's freedommfa.com for valuable insights on investing in real estate and achieving the freedom you desire. Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size is sponsored by Cloud Underground. Make starting a company as straightforward as playing an RPG with the RPG of Life Incubator from Cloud Underground. Start building your business for free today. Learn more at cloudunderground.dev. That's cloudunderground.dev. So I was wondering, like, for me, honestly, the nutritional part wasn't that difficult. In the, I, So I was a nurse and I worked mostly in type 1 diabetic care. And so um, protein, carbs, uh, calories, these are all things I was really familiar with prior. But there are a lot of people that start this process that, like, have never even heard of these things or considered them. 
So besides the like information that you're providing them in these classes, is there any specific maybe website or, you know, something that you would encourage people to try and um, get a better understanding of what nutrition is essentially? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and that's, that is what makes teaching group classes difficult because the, the variety of knowledge that people have or the variety of places that they are in their life, um, it's really hard to teach one class for and, and reach everyone. But because of the importance of protein and, and knowing what a protein source is, I would definitely say myplate.gov is an amazing website. I think they did an incredible job making it. Um, for anybody who grew up with a food pyramid, they redid it. And that's what my plate is because nobody understood what the food pyramid <laughs> <laughs> representation of what your plate could or should look like when you sit down to eat. And the website is really informative. They give recipes. They have an app that has a really cool goal setting um, aspect to it. So for any any nutrition education, I would say myplate.gov is the best place to go. Awesome. I've never heard of that. We'll definitely have to put that in the description of this episode so people yeah, can just sure. go and click it. So that app doesn't do tracking. So if there if if somebody wanted to start tracking their nutrition prior to surgery so that they had I I say tracking is one of the most important tools I've had because you just have such an awareness of what's going into your body and where you can adjust. So what do you have a specific app that you suggest for people to use? Yep. So I have two of them. Um, there is a bariatric specific app. It's called Veritastic. It is all built for bariatric surgery. So it has reminders to drink water. It has um, resources on what to eat during your different diet phases. It is really in-depth. They just added a BM tracker on their app, by the way. <laughs> Very helpful. <laughs> want more of a just a general nutrition, wanting to see your macro and micronutrients. I, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce this. Um, but there's an app called Chronometer or Chronometer, but I think that is by far the best like general food app. Okay, so somebody has had a surgery, and how is their digestive system and like overall health gonna change now? Depending on which surgery they're gonna get, if they get the sleeve, their digestive system is changing in a in a smaller amount of way versus the bypass. Your digestive system changes a whole ton. But for the most part, your stomach now can only hold about two to four ounces of food. So a fourth of a cup to a half of a cup of food. That's the most obvious change that people can feel. The portion of the stomach that produces hunger hormones is also removed or no longer used. So there's the absence of hunger, which is another challenge after surgery because you have to eat. Don't feel hungry for it. And that's, there's a difference between that and head hunger. And we'll talk about that later. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious a little bit, and Chantal, maybe you can speak about this too, just because I, I realize that this is not something that we've really talked about that much. But okay, so you have the what Chantal had, which is the sleeve, right? So it's just like we're taking the stomach and removing a big portion of it, right? How is the bypass different? Yeah. So the sleeve is, they and they remove the portion of the stomach out of the body. So you're left with, with the pouch that's the width of two fingers so it goes your esophagus pouch that's the width of two fingers your digestive system and then the bypass is different um they cut a pouch out of the stomach it's about the size of an egg and then they take the second portion of the small intestine and attach that to the pouch 
So they're bypassing the majority of the stomach and the first part of the small intestine. And they leave the stomach in, right? That's what I thought. Okay. Because all those digestive... That's weird to me. Yeah. I was surprised to learn that too. Um, But all of the digestive juices that get secreted in those organs do get put back down at the later in the digestive system. So they attach back down later. So it's still being used and that's why it's left. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were explaining to me which incision the stomach gets pulled out of. And I was just like, that's so weird to think of. Uh, I got a little, I got some photos of what was going on in there. They, they gave me some photos because I asked for, I asked for my stomach in a jar, but they said I couldn't do that. (laughs) It's mine. I should be able to take it home with me. (laughs) And your gallbladder. And my gallbladder. I had it removed at the same time. So. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. What is what is removing the gallbladder do as or does it have an impact on somebody's like dietary like requirements? Not a whole ton. Um, the gallbladder is the is it's a whole function is fat digestion. So the only consideration with having your gallbladder removed is that your body probably can't handle high fat foods. But if you're getting the bariatric surgery anyway, you can't tolerate high fat foods anyway because it's going to cause dumping syndrome so getting your gallbladder out isn't gonna you're not going to really feel the effects of it with the bariatric surgery and sean falls was very lazy anyway (laughs) yeah it wasn't doing its job it didn't have some stones it just lazy (laughs) so i was wondering okay so from my understanding because i actually feel like i put like i had my gallbladder removed because i manifested it i put it in the universe like an idiot but like (laughs) So I was curious because I had seen so many people in all the support groups that I'm in discuss how within a year they had to have their gallbladder removed. And so I had told my doctor, it was like, have you ever gotten in there and like the gallbladder is just so bad that you have to take it too? And he was like, no, that's never happened. And then and then my failed and he had to take it out at the same time. So, <laughs> um, but I'm and I'm really grateful that it it failed when it did because I I then didn't have to have a second surgery and I'd have to have a second recovery. But is there is there something? Is it part of the diet? Do you have any idea what that correlation of gallbladder removal in bariatric patients is? I quite honestly do not. But there is a very strong correlation. Most patients who have bariatric surgery will get their gallbladder removed. Yeah. But they won't remove it at time of surgery unless it has failed or has stones, from my understanding. Yeah, correct. They're not going to just take it anyway, but um, it could happen, you know, like three weeks after surgery or it could happen a year after surgery. But it is very common for the gallbladder needs to be removed. Yeah. I feel very lucky they did it all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are hoping to talk to um, Chantal's surgeon. So that will definitely be a question we'll have to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to bug him. And he was like, you did make this happen, didn't you? (laughs) So I want to ask a couple questions now. Okay, so I'm at exactly two weeks ago today I had my surgery. And so today I'm going to be starting my vitamins. And I do know that a lot of people have a struggle with stomaching their vitamins. But you need to keep trying. I actually got some in chewable tablets and form tablets just because if I didn't like one I wanted to have an option I didn't want to have to wait two weeks for another vitamin to come and so what let's talk about maybe a little bit of the importance of why somebody has to stick to this vitamin regimen post-surgery yeah that's a, a really good question I think it is kind of hard to wrap your mind around 
Um, Because a lot of the times when you're low on nutrients, you're not going to really feel the symptoms of it. So I think a lot of people are like, why am I doing this? It hurts my tummy and I don't want to. Yeah. But it's important to keep in mind that every single thing that your body does, it needs nutrients to be able to do it. Um, so your muscles being able to contract, your your liver doing its job, your every organ doing its job, it needs to have these nutrients. And if you can feel the symptoms of not having them or not, um, they're still incredibly important. They run everything. They do such a huge job in your body. When you get bariatric surgery, you're eating such small portions that it's not really possible to eat everything that your body needs to do its job. So you have to take higher dose supplements to be able to get in everything that your body needs to be able to function properly. Um, so did that make sense? Yes. No, okay. yeah, it yeah. really does. Yeah, because it's something I know a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their brain around the fact that they have to take a vitamin every day for the rest of their life. And for me, I it didn't I don't know for me, it really didn't seem to bother me because my idea was they either take a vitamin every day for the rest of my life. Or I'm taking metformin if I develop diabetes every day of my life or insulin. Like I was trading one for another, you know, and I'd rather take a supplement than have a medication correcting a medical necessity, which I'm very grateful that I was able to get this done and complete this prior to having any comorbidities come along with my obesity. So that was a big kind of mover for me is I my A1C was just creeping up and was about to hit prediabetes. And I was like, I, I just I, let's change this before. I have, you know, a heart failure before I have any of these major things that come along with obesity. So I think that to me, adding a vitamin in seemed like a very small price to pay and didn't bother me so much. We'll see how my wallet likes it in a year, though. (laughs) Are there specific supplements that you recommend for people who are after their bariatric surgery? Like what specific nutrients are you making need to make sure that you're getting? Yeah, so... Thankfully, the market has caught up to bariatric surgery and there's no bariatric specific multivitamins, mm-hmm. which helped a ton because before these happened, the, the supplement regime was truly a very difficult thing to get on top of. And I don't think people were very compliant with it because it would take a bunch of different ones to make this one vitamin that's now mm-hmm. available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And four times a day are taking the different oh <laughs> Thankfully, there's bariatric specific multivitamins. They have everything that you need. There's you take one or two, you know, pills or chews a day and you're you're good to go. So that's pretty incredible. And then on top of that, it's calcium citrate that you have to take multiple times a day to get enough calcium. I'm going to take my first ones tonight. When I spoke to my um, discharge nurse, we were discussing about the possibility of it causing an upset stomach. And so I was like, well, I'd rather be asleep, like fall asleep before my stomach is upset. And it also, if you do it in the morning, when the fact that we have to drink so frequently and we have to eat so frequently, if you if you make yourself freak, feel cruddy first thing in the morning, I think that it would be way too difficult to try and get your food and water in throughout the day. So I'm going to try and do mine like right before bed. And then they also suggested that you eat something with that vitamin, like just a little something if it just goes into an empty stomach, it can be pretty upsetting, I'm I'm told. Yeah, multivitamins on an empty stomach don't feel good. And that's exactly what I recommend is to do it before bed because if it causes any discomfort, hopefully you'll just sleep through it. Yeah. <laughs> By that time, you've had a lot of hydration and food in your belly. So it kind of, you know, cushions the blow. It might feel a little bit better. 
but exactly as you said, um, have a little bit of food with it. It's hard, especially in the stage that you're in right now, because your stomach is very small and is also swollen. So you have to be very thoughtful about the volume that you have and what you can fit in it. The The supplement and food at the same time can be a big challenge. Maybe one bite. That's <laughs> how we can manage. Yeah. So, and then I want to also discuss, because this is something that I still have not... I mean, honestly, so tomorrow I start PRA and I'm as much as I am excited about it, I am anxious about it. I'm anxious to feel discomfort. I'm anxious to get sick. I'm anxious for a multitude of reasons. I'm really excited to eat something, but I've already had like at one point in this last week, I realized it was like eight o'clock and I had only done water. I had not I thought I had drinking my protein shake and then I found it and there was two sips out of it. I was like, uh-oh, well, that didn't get finished. Um, so I drank a protein shake and I probably drank it way too fast. And I had horrible, horrible discomfort from it. I went to bed at seven and like my husband tucked me in and I just laid there for like hours. And I, you know, so it's like these things are scary, you know, to start eating. It now presents these, you know, possible discomforts. Are there things that somebody should take into consideration when they first start eating again after surgery? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to give yourself grace. This is your first time experiencing this. You don't know your limits. You don't know how your new stomach feels. And if you get to the point of being uncomfortable, it's just a learning lesson. And and it's helping you gain more data for what life is going to be like now. The best thing to focus on is taking your black bean size bites, making sure it's extremely moist with with where you are right now with healing um, and taking at least a minute in between each bite just so you have that time to check in with yourself and say, is one more bite needed? Do I still feel like I need more food or do I feel satisfied and that can be done? And getting into that habit of checking in with yourself will help. But just know that if if it does happen that you push it a little too far, you're a human and you're trying to figure things out. <laughs> yeah definitely it's all very new for sure <laughs> honestly i feel like this is great timing for Chantal. i know it really is <laughs> i also wonder okay so this i'm obviously i'm gonna do it because i am a stickler for following the rules <laughs> at least medical direction i'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around the no liquids and foods like that to me probably in my mind so far is the most challenging thing i'm about to like encounter i'm sure that once i actually get into this i'm gonna be like wow that wasn't as difficult and this is way more but right now that's probably my biggest anxiety of starting to eat explain to me the concept of it why what you know yeah it is it, and it does sound weird when you when you talk about it you're like why would i possibly not be able to take a sip of water while i'm eating um but it is one of the more important ones especially when you're healing from surgery potentially very far down the line you might be able to do but when you're healing we really don't want you mixing food and fluids together your stomach is is the width of two fingers and is also swollen so there's not a whole lot of volume so if you have food and fluids at the same time it's taking up way too much volume and you're not going to get enough food in the fluids also digest quicker than the food so the fluids can push the food for your digestive system too quickly and it can cause the dumping syndrome Okay, and then you're not absorbing whatever you ate, any of the nutrients, like... Exactly. Okay. Or I might can't handle the volume when you throw up. I hate throwing up more than anything. I've been very lucky that I have not had any incidences of vomit since the start of this. 
because I have to tell you, that's like my least favorite activity in the world, I think. (laughs) In general, how long does the stomach remain kind of inflamed after a surgery? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's probably person to person, but it it seems like um, definitely by two months, people are comfortably able to send in a little bit more food. It's it's a big struggle going from your full liquids to your puree or to your soft foods because you're used to being able to fit in a, a certain volume because they're liquids or textured foods. You are not going to be able to fit a whole like see, see, that's what I think is I'll finish like a water bottle and I'm like and I'm only supposed to be able to eat two bites. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I can fit a whole water bottle in my stomach right now. And sometimes you know, it's so funny because I like I think that like I don't know that I've fully accepted the fact that I've had this surgery because I haven't started eating yet. And so nothing in my life has really changed besides the fact that I'm on a liquid diet. But like I don't think about that all day. You know what I mean? So like I don't know that I've like fully embraced the fact that I have had a sleeve done, you know, because yeah. I, I don't know that I've experienced anything related to it besides those gas pains. Ugh. But other than that, like, life is normal. You know what I mean? You'll get used to it and and it'll become your new life. But there is. Yeah. I feel like tomorrow is the start of it, really. You know, when I start incorporating <laughs> food. And that wraps up part one of our interview with registered dietitian Maddie. Don't forget to subscribe so you can catch part two of our interview with Maddie next week, where we talk more about head hunger versus actual hunger, the exciting transformations she sees in her patients, and so much more. Thanks again to Maddie for being on this episode of Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size. And thank you for listening. Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size is created, produced, and hosted by Laura Riley and Chantal Powers. Edited by Laura Riley. Voiceover by Greg Christensen. If you're going through your own weight loss journey, join our Facebook group, Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, Join our Patreon where you'll get bonus content and monthly exclusives with Laura and Chantal. You can find links to that and all of our socials in the episode description. And of course, subscribe to Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size wherever you listen to podcasts.